So uh, it is the last week of the journey through John, and I want to celebrate just a minute. How many of you, raise your hands, how many of you took part in this series? Would you raise your hand? Awesome, yeah. Can we cheer each other on for taking part of this? Yeah. If you're new to the church, yeah, we said uh, six weeks ago, we said what we want to do is we want everyone to read the Gospel of John. The Gospel is one of the books of the Bible, and it's one of the stories of Jesus' life and captures his teaching. We created a study for little kids on up to middle school and high school, all up to adults, because our hope was that every person around Chicago all did this study together. And this is the last week. This week, you finished the reading, you concluded it. And a lot of you have said, what do we do now? What are we going to do next? I will tell you, we are going to do another one of these in the fall. We want to keep rallying our church together. We're going to get better at it. But many of you, I go, you started reading the Bible, some of you for the first time. And the temptation is after six weeks, you close the book and you hit pause and never to open it again, right? You got to keep reading. Don't stop. Some of you ask, you know, what's next? Uh, If you see in the app that Matt talked about earlier, our Willow Creek app has a Bible reading plan. You click on that. And we'll send you a daily Bible reading. You can just stay with this. Some of you, I encourage you, if you want another challenging book, go to the book of James in the New Testament. Just real wisdom things, wisdom teachings you can apply to your life. But stay in it, stick with it, and see how Scripture can move in you. And one of my favorite verses on the aspect of reading the Bible is from the Old Testament. It's from the book of Ezra. And here's what it says. Ezra 7.10 says, Now Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. That's the Bible. To study it. And to practice it and to teach it. It's a nice progression, right? Study it, practice it, teach it. Study it, he says, don't just read it. Don't just like flip through the pages. Don't be haphazard. Actually, stead is one of your goals to study it, to comprehend it, to really dive into it. Study it. But then when you're studying it, don't just be someone who's smart about it. Actually apply it to your life. That's harder to do than you know. This is why small groups are so important, because a lot of people can read the Bible and know all the right answers, but the move from knowing the answer to applying it sometimes get lost. The ability to just simply open this up and read it, but then to go, all right, I'm going to now take it and go, how does it change me? To study, we talked about, we're going to do this with money next week, in the next few weeks, just go, how does this teaching on money change how I view money? How does the teaching here change how I view marriage and being a dad or mom? How does it change how I view my neighbor? And actually change how you behave. That's what God's hoping, that you study it, and then you start to practice it. But notice there's still one more step that Ezra talks about, then to teach it. The idea is this. Once you're a Christ follower, you begin to study the word, you apply it to your life, but one of the goals is that you would help others understand it too. To just set as your goal, you go, I'm going to help others as well, I'm going to teach them. I know our church, we need more small group leaders. We're going to get more and more small groups going. And one of the keys is having people who are already practicing this, helping others do the same. We could use you. You go, I'd love to do that. I'd love to help somebody else understand. Elevate's in the room. We always need more elevate leaders, more promise land leaders, more impact leaders. You go, I'd I'd love to help one of the next generation understand it. We'd love to have you jump in. Even just self-assessment. If you go studying, practicing, teaching in your mind, where would you fall in that continuum? Uh, I hope you set as your goal to just move through all three and have a point where you, yeah, I'm just like Ezra, just like the Bible's requested. I'm really taking God's word and helping others, helping myself. That's a great aim for your life. And this is the conclusion of this study. This is the end of John. I want to ask you a question that's really kind of the basis of the conversation today. The question's this. Why did John write this book? Why did he write it? Do you think about this? 
Why in the ancient world did he pause and actually invest the time in it, all the resources that it took? Why did he do this? Today, a lot of authors, you actually ask them why they write it. A lot of them will go, I like the paycheck, right? John didn't get an advance, did he? Although this is the best-selling book of all time, he never got any royalties. He didn't do it for the money. Didn't do it for the fame. Do you know why he did this? Actually, the last sentence of his book, he gives you the answer. Here's what it says. He says, therefore, this is John's words. Therefore, there were many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which aren't written in this book. Translation, John's going, you think this is great. There's so much more I wish I could tell you. He says, but these have been written. Here it is. These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Why'd John read this book? Why'd he write it? He wrote it so that you would know the truth. See, here's the thing about John. Out of all Jesus' disciples, John's the only one that reaches old age. John outlived all the other 12 disciples. And as he got older and older, more and more people started coming into the church who had no history with Jesus. They did not see him. They did not know him. There's even a great verse in this that John captures where he acknowledges Jesus' teaching. You all who believe in me, you have seen me and touched me and heard me. Blessed are those who don't see, who won't hear, who believe me. He's talking about people like us. Jesus made it crystal clear that in his life, his goal was to make the love of the Father known, right? That's the whole story of this gospel. Jesus came here and went to extreme lengths so the world would know that the God of this world is loving and a good Father. He said some audacious claims. In fact, he said this. He said, if you want to know what God the Father's like, he says, look at me. That's what Jesus said. That's a bold claim, right? It's part of what got him in trouble with the religious leaders. He said, you want to know what God's like? Just look at me. Look at me. What he's saying is this. He's saying, I want to correct the misperceptions on who God is. Some of you think he's a harsh, judgmental God. I'm here to show you he's a grace-filled, loving God. Some of you think he's distant, doesn't hear your prayers. I'm here to show you he's present with you and with you. Jesus is trying to correct us. And he said his whole goal in this thing was to make the love of the Father. He went to extreme lengths, even to the point we read this week about him going to the cross, all the way so that we would know this great love. The New Testament captures, after he overcame the grave, he actually reappeared physically to the disciples and gave them some more instructions. And one of the things he did was he said to them very clearly, your job now, you who believe in me, it's now your job to let the whole world know this great story of who I am. That is my strategy, he said, looking to the disciples. You want to know what your job is? Tell the world. And that's what they did. John's whole life was spent trying to help everyone know about Jesus' love. All the way to this point, we said, I gotta write it down. I gotta share it. I gotta give it. So the world didn't know Jesus was who he said he was, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And then, John handed that responsibility to us, doesn't he? John goes, every Christ follower, it's now our job to carry the message of Christ to everyone else. That's our job now. So I want to ask a question. I want to talk to three different groups in this room. Three different groups. I want to talk for a minute to those of you who are already believers. I want to talk to those of you who go, I'm skeptical. And I want to talk to you, I'm spiritually curious. I'm really looking at this. Believers first, let me talk to you. John, you just heard about his goal. You already heard that 
He wrote this so that the world would know. And you know that your job is to share this incredible news of who Jesus was to those in your life. Question, how are you doing at that? How are you doing at that? If Jesus' strategy for his love to be known to the world is you sharing it, how would you grade yourself? A little more practical. When's the last time at a baptism service you watched someone be baptized and you went, I had a part of that. God, what a gift. You allowed me to play just a small part in that person coming to faith. When's the last time that happened? If it's been a while, maybe that's a sign. Time to change some of your behaviors. Another situation. When's the last time you were sitting with a friend at Starbucks or at a coffee shop or at a meal and they didn't know about God, but you realized in this moment God's spirit was working and you're beginning to have conversations with them where maybe in this moment they might come to faith and you felt that anxiety and that joy and that excitement. When's the last time that's happened to you? Has it ever? Maybe it's time. See, here's something I know about being a Christian is inertia in relationships. Inertia with the church always pulls you to hang out with more and more Christians. It's just kind of how it works. You get into a church, and before long, all your friends are at church. Uh, This is true for me. I go, the number of times where I look at my life, and I go, man, everyone I hang out with already goes to our church. And in that moment, I know, if that stays true, I'll never be able to live out the mission Christ has called all of us to, to share his story. And so I'll make changes. If you look at my adult life, even all the way back to college, I was constantly changing clubs and teams and sports and hobbies just so I could get away from Christians. No offense. (laughs) Because inertia always pulled me to be around church people. If you look at your relationships, again, those of you who are believers, have you surrounded yourself to come to the spot where you go, I'm insulated from those who most need to hear about this? And is it time to make a change? to adjust your schedule, to take some risks. A couple people at the church, I love this, that they were trying to think intentionally of this. They carried their Journey of John book around with them everywhere. One of them said they would just go to that local uh, coffee shop and just have the book. And when a friend would come in, he said, a couple times they said, what are you reading? And it just was an open door to talk about, here's what my church is doing, here's what we're reading. It started a spiritual conversation. Again, one guy told me he just brought it to work with him, and one of his coworkers saw it and said, what is it? And it just gave him a chance to have a conversation. Are you thinking any ways like that to go, what are the things I could do to help spark a spiritual conversation? Maybe just open up a conversation that I can share a little bit about my faith, a little bit about our church, maybe make an invitation. Are you thinking this way? Let me challenge you, those of you who are believers. This is your job. If you ever wonder about your purpose, this is one of the purposes of the Christian. Now, you don't have to be offensive about it, and I encourage you not to be. But I do encourage you to be intentional, be thoughtful, make some invitations, get into relationships with people. See if in those moments God might prompt you to take a little risk and see how God might use you. Because you're his strategy to be known to the world. You're it. So take it seriously. Yes? Okay. Second group. Skeptics. First off, skeptics, you need to know a couple things. Number one, you are always welcome at our church. You are. We're grateful you're here. Number two, uh, don't fake it. Tell us the truth, especially with me. If you're a skeptic or not a Christian, just be up front with me. Say, I am not a Christian. I really respect that. I like that. 
Uh, years ago, I met a guy in our church, and he said, I've been attending 10 years. I said, oh, great. He said, uh, here's my secret. Everyone thinks I'm a Christian, but I'm not. And I kind of laughed. I said, well, you don't have to pretend at our church. Just be normal. And, uh, but I'll tell you this. Uh, a lot of times, there are skeptics in the church, and, uh, and I have this question for them, and the question's this. What if? Have you paused and thought for one moment, what if it's true? What if there actually is a God? who made all this, who loves you? And what if the story of Jesus is true as well? That he was a real person who walked on this planet, taught, did miracles, and what if, what if he was who he said he was, the Messiah, the Savior? Have you paused your disbelief for a moment to say what if? A few years back, I met a guy at our church. I loved it, he was honest with me that he's not a Christian. He told me his story was that his wife's a Christian, he's got kids, and he thought they could use a little religion, and he didn't think the music here was all that bad. And so uh, he was here, but he wanted to make it clear he was not into this church thing. And I said, I get it, you got obstacles. I said, let me have some fun with you. Let me guess what your obstacle is. The resurrection, right? The whole idea that Jesus died and came back, that's your obstacle, right? And he said, no, that's not my obstacle at all, which shocked me. And I said, well, tell me, and he goes, I'm an engineer, he goes, Steve, if you go wreck my car, but bring back all the pieces and give me enough time, I can put the car back together so it runs. If I can do that, surely if there's a God, he can take a body that's falling apart and put it back together. I have no issue with the resurrection, which shocked me. So I said, what's your issue? And he said, here it is. He goes, if there's a God, I actually think I should sense him in my life, and I never have. I said, well, that's good. I said, well, let me ask you, have you ever prayed about that? And he said, what do you mean? I said, have you ever just thrown up a prayer to heaven and said, if you're real, show up? And he said, no. So I challenged him. How about you and I pray that prayer? You pray that prayer for six weeks. And we're just going to start praying. I'll pray for it too. And I'm going to pray that God shows up in such a tangible way. You cannot explain it other than saying there must be a God. How's that sound? He said, scary. And I said, that's, that's right. <laughs> and I said, we'll just meet every few weeks, you and me. And we'll just grab a cup of coffee or meal. You just tell me how it's going, okay. And we built a friendship over time. And six weeks passed, nothing. I said, you want to keep praying it? He said, sure. So we kind of built a friendship and he critiqued my sermons. That's fine, you know, no big deal. There's a day though he called. He said, can we get together? Grabbed a cup of coffee and he just goes, I don't know how to describe this, but something happened. And I knew in his life his job was not going well. There was a health issue in the family. And he described that on one day he just decided with all the stress, he needed to just go for a walk. And so he went to one of the parks around here and just walked around in the woods. And he said, the strangest thing happened. He goes, in the middle of it, I just sensed the power of the presence of God. He goes, I don't know how to explain it. It was like God was with me. And he goes, I got filled with this sense of warmth that all I could explain was I felt like God loved me and would care for me. He said, I don't know how to explain it. And, and then he said, he goes, that night, just, I knelt down and just said a prayer and said, I believe in you. And he said, I think I became a Christian. <laughs> Funniest thing, then he said, don't tell my wife. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, even then, he didn't want her to be right. So, uh. But what I appreciated was he had the guts to say that prayer. Skeptics. Might it be time just to throw up a prayer to heaven? Say, God, if you're real, show up tangibly, 
some way I know it's you. Do you have the guts to pray that prayer? See, the beautiful thing that we read this week in John, there's a great story about someone with doubts. And it's a guy, do you know who I'm talking about? What's his name? Thomas, yeah. He's gotten kind of a bad rap. Christians have labeled him Doubting Thomas, but I don't think John put it in there to mock him or make fun of him. I actually think John's trying to indicate something about Jesus in this. And here's the story if you didn't read it. This is Jesus has died on the cross. He was buried. And then a couple days later, a woman shows up and the tomb's empty. And she hears a voice that she recognizes immediately is Jesus. See, the fascinating thing is for that woman, she heard a voice and that's what she needed. She told the apostles, the disciples about it. And a few days later after that, Jesus appeared to the disciples and the Bible says they saw him. The woman heard him. The disciples saw him and they believed. But there was one disciple missing, it was Thomas. So they told Thomas all about it. said, you won't believe what we saw. But that wasn't enough for Thomas. And here's what he says. Thomas wasn't with him when Jesus appeared. And he, uh, so the other disciples said, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and unless I put my finger into the place of the nails, and unless I put my hand into his side, the space where a spear pierced his side, I will not believe. That's audacious, isn't it? I'm going to touch it. That's what Thomas says. It's not even enough. I don't want to just hear it. I don't want to just see it. I want to touch the spot to know he died. I want to make sure it's him. Thomas says, I want some proof. It seems like Jesus was listening on the conversation. The Bible continues. says, after eight more days, Jesus came back and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Clearly, they were freaked out. Peace be with you, he says. Then he looks at Thomas. And he says, Thomas, reach here with your finger. See my hands. Reach here into my side. Put your hand here. And do not be unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas answers, captured, he said, my Lord, my God. Isn't that beautiful? I don't think the focus of that story is Thomas had doubts. I think the focus of that story is Jesus will give you exactly what you need to believe. And we all need something different. Mary needed to hear his voice. The others need to see him. But Thomas had to touch Trust that God of the universe, the God who loves you, understands that we're all unique. We all have different obstacles. We all have different needs. And if you're a skeptic, understand God's going to speak to you just how you need to hear. He'll show up for you in a way that you'll know it's him. You'll know he's real. He's a personal God. And he's present with you. So have the guts to just say to him, what do you need? What are you looking for? How will you know it's him? And then be on the lookout. The other thing I love, there's this great verse in Jeremiah on this. Jeremiah is one of the Old Testament books. And these are words from God to us, and it's a promise. He says, you will seek me, and you will find me when you search with your whole heart. God's basically saying, I want to be found by you. And you will. You will find me. But there's a cost. There's an investment. You've got to really search. You'll seek me and find me when you search with your whole heart. A wholehearted search is what God wants. Not just a little something. He wants an investment from you. So skeptics, are you willing to jump into the search to actually look for God, be on the search mentally, spiritually, really actually go, what's God like? Believers, I'd also give you this promise as well. 
Some of you need to know more about God and more of his character. Be on a search from all out, wholehearted, not half-hearted, the Bible says, everything. He wants you to look for him, and he wants to be found by you. Isn't that a great promise? God wants to be found by you, but you got to be on the lookout. you got to be on the search. Which brings me now to the spiritually curious. The person, maybe it's you, who you've been on this search, and you've been on the lookout, and maybe you've begun to believe. Maybe. A lot of times in my relationships with friends who are trying to figure out faith, they'll reach a place, kind of like that skeptic I talked about you earlier, where they've had some experiences, but they wonder, what else do I have to do? One guy said to me, I, I think I believe in Jesus, but is there like a contract I sign? Is there a class I take? What do I do? And John actually provides one of the answers. He has this great verse. He says, but as many as received him, talking about Jesus, many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. As many as receive him, he gave the right to become children of God, those who believe in his name. And there's almost like this very simple structure that you see frequently in the New Testament. What does it mean to move from skeptic to believer, to skeptic to a follower of Christ? What's the kind of formula, if you will? And in essence, it's believe plus receive equals become. Believe, receive, and become. Believe what, you go? Well, the idea of it is first is that you, you believe that there is a God, a God who's real and a God who's loving. You believe that. You believe that Jesus was who he said he was, the Messiah, the Son of God, the, the Savior. You believe that, that he was a real person, actually walked on the planet. And the idea then, there's one last step. Once you believe this, then you receive it. It's kind of like a math problem. You believe and you receive equals become. And the idea of receive, what I love, the receiving idea is, uh, it's almost the idea of like there's a guest waiting to come into your house and you just open the door and invite them in. Uh, One of the great verses in the New Testament says just that. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And the idea is he won't force his way into your life. He respects you. But the invitation goes to every single person. Would you just open the door of your life to him? Would you invite him in? Would you share a meal with him? The idea is receiving him. It's like the simple prayer of Jesus, I believe in you. Now be a part of my life. Be the savior of life. Be the leader of my life. Be with me. You receive him. For most of us, this is just a simple, sincere prayer of invitation. God, I believe in you, and I'm receiving you now as the savior and the leader. And then what do you become? This is the fun part. A lot of people go, oh, now I'm a Christian or a member of a religious group. No, 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 no. Bible paints a much better picture than that. You become a child of the most high God, a beloved child adopted into a new family of the most high God. Once you believe this, then you receive it. You become this. In essence, what it's saying is this, is that God the Father, the maker of the world, comes and resides in your life with you, present with you, guiding you, caring for you, demonstrating his love for you. Doesn't that sound good? So much better than just a religion, right? That's the whole point of this. See, if you read through all the Gospels, you'll notice one thing's missing. Jesus never says, here's the new rules of this new religion, because he was not about starting a religion. He was trying to teach you that the God of the universe wants to be in your life and save you. That's the whole point of Christianity. Don't you want this? So this is what I want to ask those of you who aren't yet a Christian, but you're spiritually curious. Have you had a point where you prayed a prayer like that and you just received him? You acknowledge belief and you received him. I want to become this. 
I want you in my life, God. Have you ever had a point where you've done that? Can you look back on a day and go, I did it right there. If not, I'm going to give you a chance right now, actually, in just a moment. In a moment, what I'm going to do is ask everybody, bow your head. This is, again, Jesus respects us. We'll respect each other. This is just you and God, nobody looking around. And oftentimes what I find in my life and in others is sometimes a simple symbol or a simple act can help you understand what you got done. And what we'll do is I'll just ask us to have a moment of silent prayer where you can just pray a sincere prayer to God and I'll ask you just to raise a hand. Again, no one noticed, but you just know with the simple raising of hand, you go, I want to receive you. I believe you. I'm receiving you. God, would I become one of your children. And the prayer, I just tell you this, Pray simply and sincerely from your heart what you think. If you look at most often, it goes something like this. God, I'm so sorry for the things I've done wrong. I know I made mistakes. But I believe you are who you said you are, a good God, a loving God, a forgiving God. And I believe Jesus was who he said he was, the Savior, the one who came to pay the price for all the things I've done wrong. So I receive now grace, and I receive love, and I receive your adoption into your family. It's kind of all you have to do, just simple, sincere. Your words, though, okay? So I'd ask now, would you just bow your heads, every single person? Nobody's looking around. And if you've been listening to this, you know, I've never done this, but I want to do this now. I want to get this right. I want to acknowledge my belief and receive grace and become a child of the Most High God. Would you just raise your hand now? Raise them up high. Just go, yep, I'm choosing this right now. Hands up if you would. Yep, all over the room. Yep, just raise your hand up. Hold it up high. Yep. Go, I want to receive this. I want to acknowledge, I believe this. He is who he said he was, the Messiah. Yeah. Now just take a moment, just right where you're at. What's the prayer you want to pray to this God who loves you? Just you and him. God, see every hand raised all around this room. God, see every hand raised. Recognize and hear every prayer prayed. Seal every decision, God. God, might each of these people know your love and grace right now. Might they sense your presence right now. Might they sense your guidance from here on all the days of their life. Might you grant them gifts. The Bible describes spiritual gifts for the building of your church right now. God, would you grow up their faith? Would you grow up their understanding? Would you use them to help others understand this faith, build up their courage and their guts? God, we say thank you. So many of us on a day like today have prayed a prayer like that, and you've changed our life. God, let every person know you see them and love them, and their lives transformed from here on out. Sins forgiven. Eternity secure. God, we love you. Father, we love you. What a great story. That you would leave heaven to save this, yeah, this world. God, do this now. Thank you for what you've done in me and in us. Thanks for your great work, Father. We pray this now in the name of Christ. Amen. 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 Hey, can we yeah, give a hand for those who made a decision just now? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those of you, you go, this is the first decision, real quick, like, I'd encourage you, tell somebody to, tell someone you care about, somebody you respect, just go, hey, I, I, I did something, I quit, really important, really made a decision of faith. 
Uh, then I would encourage you as well, make sure again, get a Bible and start to read and get into a group. Uh, the Welcome Center's right out there. You might even just stop by and go, hey, uh, I made a big decision today and just let them know. And, and we'll talk about what are some next steps you can take. But the Bible's clear on one next step for sure. And it's baptism, which we're going to celebrate in just a minute. The Bible describes that every person who believes and receives, every person who claims the name of Christ, every single one of us, needs to be baptized. Rich and poor, introvert, extrovert, all of us. And the idea of baptism is very clear. The the two questions are really why and when. Why do I get baptized and when? And why is easy. Bible shows that Jesus himself was baptized. And the guy who baptized him actually said, hey, I don't, you don't need to be baptized. I should be baptized by you. And Jesus basically demonstrated, although he didn't need to be baptized, he was going to do exactly what he asked all of his followers to be baptized. So Jesus did it. I figure you and I probably need to, right? That's an easy one. That's the why. But then when? And this is one of the great misconceptions in Christianity. So often I see people, and actually I've baptized people, and go, hey, when did you make a decision of faith? And they go, oh, it was five years ago, or it was 10 years ago, or 15 years ago. And I'm like, why'd you wait so long? And most of them, the idea is this misconception. It's this, the view many of them have is that baptism is the finish line. That I get baptized, kind of like graduation. When I've figured out the Bible, I've read the whole thing, I've stopped sinning, that's when I get baptized, right? I've achieved something. And you know, if you're gonna wait to stop sinning to get baptized, you're not gonna get baptized, right? You know this. That's the misconception. Baptism was never meant to be the finish line. Baptism was meant to be the starting line. In fact, in the book of Acts, this is the book that's just after John we just read. The book of Acts describes that many times people came to faith and were baptized same day, very same day. Acts 8, 12 says when they believed, they were baptized. It was just like one and two, same day. But you notice by the end of that book of Acts, something has changed and people are waiting. In fact, they're waiting a long time. And one of the teachers to the church said this, why do you delay to get baptized? Why are you waiting? Just get up and do it. Already in the church, people were waiting. But the intention was, same day. You believe, go right in the water, get baptized. If you're newer to church, the idea of baptism is a simple one. That uh, You'll see it in just a moment. People will walk into this water, and someone else will just lower them in the water and raise them back up couple things. To do this, one, it takes a lot of courage because you're standing in front of friends and family in this community and you're going, hey, I declare myself to be a follower of this one, Jesus. It takes courage to do that. And your faith from here forward, one of the things I know it will require to live this out fully, it's going to take guts. It's going to take courage. And I think Jesus was saying, hey, once you believe this, get baptized and let's start to demonstrate the character you're going to need to thrive as one of my followers. Have courage. The other thing baptism requires is humility. See, no one walks into the tank by themselves and goes, I'll just baptize myself. Not how it works. Every one of us is baptized by someone else, and it represents we don't save ourselves. We are dependent on the saving work of someone else, Jesus himself. And so the image is I'm humbling myself. I, didn't, I got myself in this mess. I don't get myself out. It's because of him alone. Courage and humility. And I think the idea in baptism, as soon as you can, is it demonstrates the character God needs to use you. Someone who's humble, who goes, it's not all about me, it's about him. It's not my life, it's his life. And the guts to say, whatever you ask, God, I'll do it. Whatever you ask.